You're listening to the Therapy for Women podcast with licensed therapists Amanda White, Fern Formel, and Gabby Salomone. Whether you're contemplating therapy for the first time, already in therapy, or reconsidering it, this podcast will empower you with tips, advice, and plenty of real talk so you can get the most out of your sessions. Hello, everyone. How are we today? Hi, we're doing good. Just, you know, winding down. Yeah, yes. we're recording this right before um, Christmas. So, busy week. Yeah. Very busy <laughs> week. Ready to, you know, wrap everything up for the year and take some time off and get into 2023. So, lots of big things happening for our practice here, Therapy for Women. Yeah. yeah. Lots of good things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we have the 2023 brand new Fresh Therapy for Women podcast, which is super exciting. And today we're going to talk with Amanda White, who is our founder of Therapy for Women and one of our hosts here on the podcast. So Amanda, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I, I love doing this podcast with you guys. So I think it's really fun to, we've all gotten to share our stories. So it's, it's fun to do. Mm-hmm. Yes. Definitely. So thinking about that, Amanda, like our, sharing your story, right? What is your story? How did you get here? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll do the Cliff's Notes version of my story because I feel like my story is very long. <laughs> But yeah, if you don't know me or know my background at all, my story really kind of started with, I I started in therapy when I was like 15. I developed an eating disorder when I was growing up. I was actually a competitive figure skater. So those kind of really went hand in hand for me. Mm -hmm. And um, I also moved a lot growing up. I went to two different middle schools, high schools, elementary schools, And that really impacted my feeling of, you know, being able to make friends and things like that. So Mm -hmm. I think I really clung on to skating as this, you know, the stability, it was like the one stable thing it felt like in my life that I had control over. That's interesting considering how unstable you are on those (laughs) skates. Well, when you get good, you become stable on them. It's true. But yeah, no, I mean, I think it's also where like, you know, Gabby specializes in eating disorders. You know, yes. you seek control over your food and your body as a way to feel more, you know, grounded and feel and feel more in control. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I knew my eating disorder. I was bulimic. I knew my eating disorder was probably, you know, I knew it wasn't normal to throw up like multiple times a day and everything. Mm -hmm. And, um, I started going to therapy for it and I saw a bunch of different therapists, but essentially I like lied to most of them. I cared way more about them thinking I was doing a good job and making progress than Mm -hmm. actually doing the work and Mm -hmm. making progress. Um, And then, you know, a couple years later, I drank for the first time and that really felt like magic to me because it felt like it took away all my social anxiety. It felt to me kind of like friends in a bottle Mm -hmm. and I just was kind of hooked from the moment that I 
had my first drink. And that, you know, changed the trajectory a bit where I just, I kept drinking and, you know, my eating disorder got entangled in that and I would kind of swing. One would get a little better. One would get worse. By the time I got to college, I also started dabbling in, you know, a lot of people had Adderall prescriptions. So I tried Adderall for the first time and that felt like oh my God, this, you know, it takes away my appetite. Mm -hmm. This is amazing. (laughs) I have so much energy. Yeah. So I pretty quickly got addicted to Adderall too. And it was like Adderall and I I was able to alcohol and bulimia. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I was able to also like then get a prescription. It was really easy for me to just say that I had ADHD and, you know, then I had it a psychiatrist that also – because then I couldn't sleep because I was obviously abusing Adderall. Right. So then they had me on like Ambien, which is insane to think about all of the drugs that they were legally prescribing me. So safe to say college kind of went downhill from there (laughs) with all Mm -hmm. of those things. (laughs) I don't know how I graduated sometimes. Um, But yeah, I mean I like lost a lot of friends along the way because I just – wasn't a good friend. I wasn't, you know, I would kind of get into huge fights with people. I would leave the door unlocked. I would leave the stove on. And I really thought everyone was out to get me. You know, they didn't understand. Um, So I graduated college and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was terrified of getting a job. Amanda, you went to college for, what was your bachelor's in? So that was the other funny thing. I went to University of Richmond and you can make up your own major, which is really interesting and strange. Huh. Yeah. I mean, I took a minor and made it a major in my my defense, so it was a little less weird. But I wanted to be – I was pre-med when I started college. But pretty quickly I was like, I can't survive this. I failed chemistry. I couldn't do it. Science classes are hard. (laughs) Yes, but I really loved the like – I would take classes on like the history of medicine and I took a class on death and I took some psychology classes and they had a minor called medical humanities, which was like all those classes. Yeah. So I made that my major essentially, which was interesting and did lead me, I think, to psychology because I took some psychology classes. Like I took a really cool class that was also like the history of mental illness. And we studied like asylums and like all of that. It was <laughs> it's crazy. Have you all seen the movie Accepted with Justin Long? Yes, I yes. have. Yes. <laughs> it's making your own major is making me think of that movie. <laughs> Where it's like they had that big whiteboard where it's like you just wrote down all the things you were interested in. (laughs) I mean, honestly, it sounds kind of awesome to make your own major. Yeah. 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 I don't know if they still have that program. It seems a little odd to me, but I enjoyed it. Um, So, yeah. So I graduated not knowing what I wanted to do. um, And then I kind of – so I literally – when I graduated from college – I worked at a Red Mango, which is a frozen yogurt store full time. And then I decided I wanted to take some psychology grad school classes. So I just like went to the local university, tried it out. I was lucky at that time that I found a therapist who I loved. And she, what really made a difference for me is she was really honest about being in recovery herself. And that really changed the trajectory for me where I could be honest in therapy and 
feel like I wasn't going to be judged. And that really inspired me where I had this idea that, well, you know, if she can do this and she's in recovery, I could maybe heal and be a therapist too. And that was where I started taking classes more seriously. And I eventually transferred. Um, I went to LaSalle for my master's in counseling um, and things kind of, you know, I became really serious about becoming a therapist. And honestly, having that like purpose really was a huge game changer for me in my recovery because it just gave me, it, it grounded me, it gave me purpose. It, it gave me, you know, this idea that I could maybe what I went through had like meaning and I could Mm -hmm. make something out of it. And that, that really changed my life. And I struggled a lot with still quitting alcohol because I, I knew the drugs were a problem. I knew my bulimia was a problem, but it's very easy to justify that my alcohol was like other people. But what ended up happening was, you know, I was doing all this work with my therapist to understand my values and build self-esteem and live a life that was in alignment with what I wanted. And then I would go get drunk and I would do the complete opposite (laughs) of everything that I cared about. And it got to the point where it was like, I don't know whether I'm an alcoholic or not. I don't know whether I meet this criteria, but I can't keep living this way and have the life that like, I can't be a therapist and be like, blacking out and then like showing up to sessions the next day. And I would also often relapse um, when I drank because I would then like binge and purge sometimes when I got too drunk too. So I really kind of stopped drinking for that purpose. And I was just really lucky that I found a community and I found people my age who didn't drink. And I got kind of, you know, I was in group therapy and one of my best friends to this day I met in group therapy and – yeah, she was my maid of honor at my wedding, actually. Wow. And yeah, and it just kind of um, – that became my purpose and and it kind of went from there. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the community part, I think, Amanda, about all – like, that's such a big part of recovery is finding that community and, like, recognizing that you're not alone in this and that, you know, because you're struggling with, you know – something that people don't always talk about or it's not always out there doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you or that you're different. It's just that people aren't talking about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I also didn't have really like I burned all the bridges I had in college. So it was like really important for me to find community and find friends. Um, after that experience too, which I, I would not have been able to stay sober if I wouldn't have had community community for sure. Amanda, how did you find community? Like that's something that I know I talk about with clients a lot, right? Like not necessarily always in the context of like alcohol or sobriety or what have you, but like just in general, like as an adult, we talk about how hard it is to make friends. Mm -hmm. Right. And so how did you create that community for yourself? Well, one of the things was I was in group therapy, which mm-hmm. was really helpful. Um, but the other thing I mean in, is I went to AA. Um, so I've, you know, I think AA is not for everyone. I don't go to AA anymore. It doesn't always serve everyone. But I was just really fortunate that there was a, like, there was a group of young people in AA that I liked that. I felt similar to. So it was easier for me because I wasn't someone who was going to most AA meetings and feeling like, 
I'm the youngest one or I Mm. have nothing in common. Like I sought out young people's meetings. I was kind of taken, you know, there was a recovery house in Philadelphia at the time that one of my friends like lived at and I spent a lot of time there. So um, yeah, it was not all of them like stayed in AA necessarily, but we were all kind of young people who admitted that we had issues and um, were trying to work on getting better. And a lot of my really good friends to this day, I met through those people, um, even if we all don't go to AA necessarily anymore. Yeah, I think like what you're talking about, like seeking out specifically the groups that felt like they were connection to you and not just like showing up to a meeting because that was like listed first on the website, right? Like it's like you did a little research to find out like what's going to fit for you and what's going to feel good for you. That might be like really insightful and helpful for people that are questioning their sobriety, you know, their, their relationship with alcohol and sobriety. And yeah, like TV puts like a bad rap on like what AA meetings look like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's what's interesting. I mean, it's where I still like I critique AA and I have, you know, I talk and I don't really call myself an alcoholic anymore. But if you are looking for a community that is easy to access, mm-hmm. there is just nothing else like it where you can be anywhere in the world really and find mm-hmm. other people. And a lot of what I did was like, you can find women's meetings. Like I really liked going to women's meetings. I really liked going to young people's meetings or I would meet people and I would ask them what meetings they went to. And I would try to go to those meetings um, that I knew of. So while yes, it's not for everyone. There are, there are issues with it for sure. And we need to expand the resources. Um, I'm also a big believer in like take what works and leave the rest. And mm. what really worked for me was the community piece. Yeah. And, you know, some of the other stuff I just didn't take too seriously because I was in therapy and doing other things that I felt were more important in my healing. Um, but yeah. I knew I needed community and we would have like parties and young people's events and we would go get coffee and we would go out to dinner and we would go dancing. And there was a lot of like social events that happened that I really learned how to be sober and I could still live, you know, a normal life of a 24 mm-hmm. year old. Yeah. Yeah. That is tough, right? Like just the world that we live in, trying to be sober in your early 20s. Yes. Right? Like so much of our world is like, oh, let's go out and go to a club. Let's go dance. Let's go get a drink. Let's have Mm -hmm. dinner and drinks. You're going to have a wine night. Like (laughs) there are so many – there's so many activities that are – that involve alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. Last year when we went to the Taylor Swift night before Mm -hmm. we went to that, we went like had dinner and then we went to the Halloween bar and they didn't have any um, like non-alcoholic options at that point. This year I went back and they do now. Mm, (laughs) I love that. Which I was like, oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I will buy the most expensive mocktail that exists. To simply support that people need this option. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Philly's been doing a really good job with that. Like I've been really impressed by how many restaurants have alcohol-free options on the menu. And some of them are even like sophisticated with they have like alcohol-free liquor that they use yeah. in them and things like that, which I love. I think it's really cool. 
No, I yeah. think that's really awesome. Isn't Maniunk getting like a bar that's going to be like zero alcohol? I believe it opened. Yeah, it did. Well, I've been to like – I've traveled and been to some of the original um, sober bars in the country too. Like there's one in Denver that was one of the first ones and it was so cool. I mean, it's like a full bar. Like it's just like a bar. It's, you know, and they have all kinds of different options and everything you could think of. And it's really funny because one of my biggest takeaways from it was I was really excited to have like a glass of red wine because the only like fake red wine I've had is, oh my God. I mean, they make some that are like tomato essence kind of essentially and stuff and it's horrible oh no so I was excited because this one was like they make de-alkalized wine now which Mm -hmm. is real wine but they just have a process where they remove the alcohol so I was excited to like have it and what's so funny is I've realized I'm like I've been sober for so long like this doesn't taste good anymore (laughs) (laughs) like my husband, Mike, was like, oh, this is great. And he liked all the like, you know, fake wine and the the stuff that takes tastes like fake whiskey and stuff. And I was like, I don't want anything that, you know, like. <laughs> because alcohol does not taste good. No. Like we can make a drink that tastes good. But I right. think most people can agree that alcohol itself does not usually taste good. I yeah. don't understand bourbons or whiskeys I'm just gonna put it out there like I've tried some very expensive ones too and Mm. they'll fail every time my face makes the same exact yeah (laughs) I'm dying (laughs) well okay I have to share this ridiculous story so this is just an example of how ridiculous my eating disorder and alcoholism were like intertwined so I was on this I would do all these cleanses in college and I was on one cleanse where someone told me that whiskey was the cleanest alcohol I don't know where they came up with that so all I was allowed to drink was whiskey but I couldn't have juice or soda or or mixers anything else the only type of like drink I could have besides water lemon juice lime juice was coconut water but it had to be a fresh coconut because this was (laughs) you know (laughs) made us crack it in the coconuts drunk on no but that's exactly what used to happen (laughs) Gabby is I would go to like Whole Foods and I would get these young coconuts I couldn't open them so I would throw them against the cinder block wall <laughs> until they opened. And like, it wasn't a good opening, right? So then I would pour it into like a container with like, you know, chunks of the coconut flowing in it. And I just have this vivid memory of going to a tailgate, sitting in the back of like um, like a station wagon with like a cup of straight like Jim Beans whiskey and this disgusting container of coconut water oh my god <laughs> and I'm like drinking the whiskey and chasing it with coconut water oh no Insanity. so yeah I mean I definitely hate whiskey <laughs> mm-hmm. yes don't don't recommend mixing those two 
Have you been struggling with seasonal depression? We have some great workshops and groups coming up this spring that I wanted to just quickly tell you about. And they're all virtual, which means that you can access them wherever you are in the world. So we have a seasonal affective disorder and how to cope workshop that's coming up that's going to be on February 20th at 7 o'clock. It's $20. We also have a really great DBT skills group coming up. If you know very much about DBT, it's one of the gold standards of therapy of how to regulate your emotions. You're going to walk away from that group with tangible skills. We've gotten this request for a while, so we're so excited to bring it to you all. It's four classes that will meet April 5th, 12th, 19th, and 26th. And it's $175 for the package of the four, and each workshop or group will build off of the other. And finally, on Thursday, April 13th, we have an insomnia and anxiety workshop that's going to be led by one of our therapists, also going to be online, $20. So if you're interested in any of these workshops, we'll link them in the show notes, or you can just visit therapyforwomencenter.com slash events. So we've kind of gone on a tangent about yes. alcohol, but <laughs> – So for you, Amanda, so you you graduated – Right, you you got your master's and everything, and and then what? What, like, how'd you get to you know own your own practice and everything? Yeah, my first job out of um, grad school, I worked at um, an alcohol rehab, and I really loved it. I got the privilege of leading the the women's long term program, which was so fun and so different because when you work in a rehab, you typically only get people for thirty days. And then I got – they were there for a minimum of three months. So um, I got to do longer-term work with them, and I just, like, really fell in love with, like, deeper therapy and longer-term therapy. Um, and I was there until I got my license. And, um, you know, really I had this vision of when I was, you know, when I was in therapy and struggling – one of the challenges for me is because I had an eating disorder, I had, you know, alcohol issues, I like had drug issues, I had anxiety, I had depression, I had trauma, I had all of these different things where it felt like I was often, even though I had a great therapist, sometimes I was like bopped around yeah. to different therapists. Like I needed a referral for this person, I needed that. And I felt like at um, the work I was doing, I saw that again with so many women who came in with just straight substance use, you would find out they actually had an eating disorder or maybe they developed one or then they started showing symptoms of – they. I mean, almost all of them had trauma. So then they were doing trauma work and I really wanted to create a practice where I could focus on all the overlap of these different things rather than – someone has to be siloed into, you know, seeing multiple therapists. And that was really what I started my practice on was like, I loved working with women. It was what I specialized in, in, um, you know, grad school. And then when I worked at the rehab, um, I loved working with women that had overlapping issues. And that was kind of you know, my first, the practice was originally called Amanda E. White Therapy for Women <laughs> before we rebranded. 
because I was like, I love working with women. It's where major- my majority of my experience is. And I was also really clear, like I shared on the, my website that, you know, I was in recovery from these things and, um, you know, it was, people thought it was risky and didn't like that I did that, but I felt very clear that the right people will like that. And I care more about finding people. And that's kind of how I ended up doing Instagram is I really hated networking events. I didn't want to go talk to people. Yeah, They really overwhelmed me. So I was just like, well, instead of spending all this time at a networking event, I will just make content and yeah, like talk to my ideal client where they are, which is on Instagram. Yeah. And that was kind of how things, you know, I never expected it to grow. I never thought I would have, it would be more than just me. I, I filled up in a year and that was when I had Maddie join and I hired Maddie because she was, we went to grad school together and she was kind of the most similar her she had a background in substance use and she also had a background in yoga like me and I was like she is the most similar person to me that I could hire yeah it kind of went from there yeah so you started the practice in individually in what year that's a really good question it will be five years in the spring okay so I think 2017 Yeah, we just kind of kept growing from there. I mean, um, the big leap that kind of happened that was a big, that was probably the scariest part was um, Maddie and I had outgrown our first office and our first office was in this like little rickety building on South Street. (laughs) And I mean, it's so funny now looking back too, because I just, I was so young when I started it that um, I remember my parents being like, maybe you should, you know keep working part-time. Maybe you should not just sign a lease and just kind of like throw everything into this, you know, but I was so young that I don't, I was just like, well, I'm going to do it and we'll just see. And if it fails, it fails. And I'll just figure it out from there. Fails, it fails. I'll just get another job back at a Yeah. (laughs) That was, that was my plan. Um, So yeah, we, yeah, the first office we had like the air conditioning sometimes wouldn't work and it would literally sometimes in the summer be like a hundred degrees and we'd have to cancel sessions. It was, oh no, it was not good. So we were ready for a new office, but I, I didn't, you know, I was really picky about, I didn't want to be in a big office building. And that was where we took that leap and signed the old city lease. And I was like, well, I'll just rent out the other offices to other therapists and um, we'll go from there kind of. But, you know, I think that's speaking to like like how just taking it day by day, right? Like I imagine as someone who is not a business owner but is, you know, part of a business, (laughs) I imagine that that is part of owning a business. It's just like kind of, we're kind of just doing it day by day and trying to see what works and we're trying to do our best. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the most challenging parts is you take on a lot of risk and you have to kind of be comfortable. I mean, with the risk, you know, and I remember when we first signed that big lease in Old City, I was planning my wedding and I like couldn't sleep because I was terrified that we wouldn't get people and I wouldn't be able to afford the rent and, you know, things like that. And I just wondering if I was crazy and 
all of those things. But um, I'm like a really big believer in the power of um, like taking action. And if you want something to happen, sometimes the best thing you can do is push yourself and sign that lease or commit to that thing. And one of my favorite metaphors is if someone was traveling and I guess like wanted to get over a fence or something like that, they would throw their hat over the wall or over the fence. And then it it like makes you more motivated because you need to go get the thing that you own. Mm-hmm. I'm not really good with numbers and projections <laughs> and stuff like that. And I, tr- I lead from feeling sometimes too much. Um, well, that's why you have, you know, that's why you have other people. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, and I will kind of like, if I promise something, I will hold myself, I will like sacrifice myself to try to keep that promise, which is not, you know, I've had to that learn to be great. more, yeah, I've had to learn to be more conservative with that. But yeah, that was, I mean, I think if you're starting in the beginning, it is a risk and you have to be willing to take risks and not know what's going to happen and and kind of see and, and go from there. And that, that's been, I think that's one of my biggest pieces of advice, I guess, for yeah. someone. Did Amanda, did you have like a backup plan if this didn't work out? Like, and maybe you didn't, but I'm really curious, like if you had any idea of what you were going to do if you just crashed and burned. Amanda has a constant backup plan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, when I first started, I was like, I'll just go back to a rehab. I'll get a, I mean, that has been kind of always my thing is like, if this fails, I know I'm a good therapist and I know I can go get a job somewhere else, even if I don't love it or whatever. So that has been – that was like my backup plan for a really long time. And I think even now, even if some days I'm like, oh my God, if everything falls apart and <laughs> blows up, I could have my own – I could go back to having my own small practice and I'll I'll figure it out. Sometimes, yeah, like – Working with Amanda closely, like <laughs> Gabby can probably tell you. <laughs> sometimes her backup plans, like, have to be like reined in. Of like, Amanda, mm-hmm. you're gonna pull, spread yourself too thin. You yeah. need to like remember, like, there are others here that can help, and you don't have to do it on your own. And yeah. pivoting always, like, we, we've been good at pivoting, and that is one yeah. thing that, like, as a you know clinical director here, is like we have figured out how to pivot and how to yes. make it work for us, right? Like mm-hmm. we recognize like what works and what does not. And we will throw everything we can yes. at things to try to make it work. And then when it doesn't, we're just like, okay, yeah. What did we learn? Let's go mm-hmm. with that. And yeah. Yeah. You got to not have, you can't, you need to like not be attached to it looking a certain way or because yeah. Sometimes things don't work and you don't know why they don't work. And I mean, it's why I think it's one of the things that makes us really successful, but it's also something that doesn't work for everyone is how good at change we are. Yeah. <laughs> we will just, something's not working. We will change it and change it. And um, there'll yeah. be 13 different, you know, variations before right. you see the actual like one that we put out. Um, yes. So yeah, like that's something that we've gotten really good at and yeah like there's always like a quasi backup plan right like we'll just pivot right well yeah 
scale it back. We'll make figure it, it out. Figure, yeah. yeah, figure it out. <laughs> But you know what? I think I feel like we're having kind of like a full circle moment because going back to what both of you said, like this goes back to having community behind you, right? Like having community, having people to help you when you need to pivot, when you're trying to, uh, you know, get sober, be in recovery. Like you need community, whether it's, um, like I said, trying to be on that recovery journey or start your own business or expand Mm -hmm. your business. Like you need people around you. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and I think – I mean, that's really to me also what what started. I never thought I would have a group practice. I never thought I would really have very many people working for me or anything like that. And it came out of that desire of like I want more people here. I want to share this. I want other people's decision-making – like I want to purposely bring in people who have things that I don't have. Yeah, even just therapist skills. I think like we really were like, okay, like we have this, you know, these skills, what are other skills that we see that people are asking for to get those in here, right? Like marriage and um, like couples therapists. Yep. You know, that's how, you know, we got you, Fern. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and sex therapy. Sex therapy Mm -hmm. even too, right? Like women, like even talking just to women and doing individual therapy with them and realizing like, like, sexual exploration is sometimes really needed for them to work through a lot of things. And that's not my expertise. Yep. Not me either. It's where we refer then to one of our sex therapists. Just building that community for like, not just for ourselves and each other, right? But for our clients, right? Where it's, oh, like, and we've maybe even said this in our previous episodes, but it's like, oh, you're, you have this going on we also have someone who can help you with that, right? It's not about bopping yeah. people around and like right. going to therapist, a therapist, a therapist, but it's like we have these resources for you all in one place. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And everything we've done really has been just what people ask for. And I think it's a very powerful way to grow because you're responding to what people are asking for. You're responding to the market versus it being like, I want the practice to look this way. I mean, I never thought we would have two offices in the Philadelphia in in the city, the city. of Philadelphia because in my mind it would be like, well, why would you do that? But it but it's what we needed. So that's what we did. Yeah, absolutely. But even like down to, you know, the community of the therapists that we have, right? Like our biggest thing has been we want our therapists that work for us to feel like they have a community that they are, they can thrive in, in terms of their practice and Mm -hmm. us not necessarily dictating like manualized treatment. It's like, what works for you as a therapist? How do you shine to help the people around you and to make it really like an enjoyable work environment Well, that was a big thing for me when I started my practice too. It was a big motivation because things – for a while when I was in the long-term treatment um, program, I had a lot of flexibility, a lot of creativity. And then as the program grew, it was really clear they were going to start standardizing treatment and there I had way less control and, you know, they were – it was going to be much more protocols and things like that. And that was just something that – I just feel like I thrive and a lot of therapists thrive in like the creativity and the presence of when you're in therapy. And 
it's really, really not effective for a lot of us to have to be on these protocols or prove that someone's getting better this amount. And it just really stifles good therapy. Absolutely. What is that term that they use in therapy? That it's, oh, it's measurable. Yes. Right? That treatment is measurable, which has a time and a place, but most of the time is unnecessary, in my opinion. Well, a lot of times that's coming from insurance companies that want to be able to approve or deny sessions based on, you know, improvement rates and things like that, which is why we don't take insurance directly. (laughs) That's a whole other episode in itself. (laughs) (laughs) So, Amanda, now with like being where you're at in life and obviously like owning your own practice, like what does being a therapist look like for you now? Hmm. So I don't really take any new clients now. Um, So a lot of the work I do is kind of more maintenance work with clients and stuff like that. And it's, I think it's really cool to watch, you know, some of a lot of my clients I've been with for many years and I get to see how their lives have, have changed and evolved. And sometimes they take a break and then they'll come back and I get to kind of see what what's changed since then. So um, that's a lot of my work with individual clients. And I also just am really passionate about, you know, in our practice, I kind of talk a lot about substance use and it's been really fun to run those clinical supervisions. And I just wrote a workbook that is specifically for clinicians. That's the companion to my book, Not Drinking Tonight. And that really stretched me a lot. And I was really intimidated to make it for clinicians because I felt like I don't know how to teach clinicians how to do this and maybe my methods aren't measurable, right? (laughs) So that was a really big challenge for me clinically, but I'm really, really proud of the workbook and um, hope it makes an impact and helps people. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, you just reminded me I have to buy it. (laughs) (laughs) It's on my to-do list. Yes. When does the uh, book come out, Amanda? It comes out January 10th. So I don't know when this episode will come out. It may already be out. But um, yeah, January 10th. We'll have it in the uh, notes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We'll link it for sure. <laughs> yes. So Amanda, I guess like one of maybe our last questions for the interview is, what is a misconception that you want to debunk about therapy? Hmm trying to come up with a unique one because I feel like there's so many that we talk about that are debunked. I mean, I just come back to, again, it's like, so I just started back up in therapy again after taking a break and it's, it's not a friend. It's not someone that you just talk to. It's like, I just am constantly reminded of what's the, like, what's magical is the relationship. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, and even like, I don't know, AI, like artificial intelligence has been in the news a lot and there's been like panic about like artificial intelligence taking over jobs. And I just come back to again, like I would never have a therapist that wasn't a human because like I need that person. I need the relation, like the relationship Mm -hmm. is the magic of therapy at the end of the day. And that's what's most important. And that's why if you don't like your therapist – Get a new one Mm -hmm. because your relationship with them is the biggest predictor of success. Right. And a good therapist won't be offended if you say, I don't think we're a fit. 
No. 100%. Yeah, 100%. I love that. I think that's a great, you know, insight of it is like not everybody is everybody's cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Some of us don't even like tea. Right? <laughs> yeah. What is that? What's that quote? It's like you could be the sweetest, juiciest peach in the world and there'll still be someone who doesn't like peaches. Yes. yes exactly. Right. That's like, a good quote. Yeah. Right. No, that's that's a very good point, Amanda. A very good one. All right. So, Amanda, our final question for today. If someone isn't ready to start therapy or dive into their recovery, what would your recommendation to them be? Um, well, this is – my recommendation would actually be to get my book. <laughs> <laughs> if they're trying to question their relationship with alcohol, um, my book has a lot of, like, prompts and insights and – um Things that, you know, it's it's my original book, not the workbook, Not Drinking Tonight, A Guide to Creating a Sober Life You Love. Um, it's based on three stories and it takes you kind of through the journeys of three women and how they explore their relationship with alcohol. And I think it's it's a really gentle way to explore your relationship with alcohol and maybe see things in yourself when you relate to the characters in the book that are based on some of my clients. So that's my recommendation. And if you love worksheets, even though the workbook is geared towards clinicians, um, it can completely be adapted for individuals. Um, a lot of it is worksheets. 80% of it is new. So it's also not going to be like an overlap that much if you have the book. Um, so yeah, that's once you write a book and you realize how long it takes to write a book and all the knowledge that goes in, you're like, a book is a bargain. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of work. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of work and a lot of time. And it's like, yeah. yeah, wanting to make sure you get it right and nuanced and all those things. So, yeah. All right. Well, this was well, so fun. I'm glad we got to chat and yes. we'll be back next week. Yes. Can't wait for it. Looking forward. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Therapy for Women podcast. To suggest a topic, submit a question, or find a qualified therapist, visit therapyforwomencenter.com.